Hello and welcome to another episode of Open to Criticism. I'm Wendy Lloyd. I'm a film critic and this is my podcast about how we talk about movies, who gets to do it and why it matters. This week I'm speaking to film critic Amon Warman. As contributing editor and columnist at Empire Magazine and freelance writer for outlets including Variety, NME and The Eye, Amon is very much an established critic. Nonetheless, he still despairs at the lack of opportunities beyond the racial pigeonhole commissioners can still lazily assume for him. The thing with me when it comes to seeking me out for black stuff, I don't mind it as long as we keep the relationship going and the next thing you call on me for has nothing to do with it. In this week's episode, Amon discusses social media and its ability to inflame online film debate and how online comments about diverse casting can become tiresomely repetitive. I kicked off by asking Amon at what point he registered that he was ensconced in an almost exclusively white male profession. I'm not sure when that clicked for me, but I do know that subconsciously I did realise it because when you are a black man in a majority white space, there's a certain way you act to, I guess placate all the people around you because you're in a certain type of space. Like the, back in the early days, I did, I did not act and talk the way I talk with my brothers and my family when I'm in a film screening setting because of them, in large part, because it's a majority white space. Mm. Um, but definitely in the last five years or so, it's been very noticeable. And as I've sort of uh, gotten to a better place in my career, uh, that has definitely been one of the things at the forefront of my mind as I'm making my rise, I guess. So in, in terms of now you're thinking, I want to make sure that I'm more, I feel that I'm being more myself. Yeah, no, that that uh, started around 2019 um, for me. Right. I've been doing this since 2011. Around 2019, basically, I'd started to do a couple of Empire podcasts here and there. And there was one particular podcast that we did for Avengers Endgame, this small independent movie which made no money. I don't think anybody's really heard of it. <laughs> um, they Obviously, the Empire magazine, so I'm very passionate about uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe especially. So when they invited me to be on, that was like a three-hour podcast because we're all nerds, we're all geeks. <laughs> and without, like, I didn't plan for this, but because I'm so passionate, some of the authentic Amon, a lot of the authentic Amon really came out uh, in that podcast. And again, because the Empire and they have a huge reach and so many people listen to it, I got a lot of feedback saying, we love him on all of this. Like, we, we, we love how he, how he acted on the, on the podcast. He had some really good points with his personal. All of and, and that's, that's when it goes like, huh, that's interesting. They yeah. like me for me. And, and, and I, 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 I was sort of authentically me and people responded really positively to that. So I was like, okay. That that is when things began to click because one thing, especially over the last three or four years that I've come to notice, you do need in our position to definitely know your stuff and to be sort of good at articulating your thoughts. That's like film criticism 101. Yeah. But how you stand out and how you separate yourself from the pack because it's a very competitive industry. There's so many people doing essentially the same thing. The chief weapon that you have in order to stand out is your personality. Once that clicked for me, 
I tried to make that bleed into my work as much as possible. Yeah. And that podcast in particular was one of those things that happens like, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to try and going to try and harness that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's it's great that it kind of came about through something where you just got the opportunity to kind of play in the moment. Yeah. Um, and, but I wonder also then how being able to see that, and you talk there about standing out and what have you, how you actually uh, see criticism and respond to it and, and, and not least issues to do with representation, which let's face it, you know, we're it's much more discussion about that in recent years. Mm-hmm. So again, was that something where you thought, well, there aren't that many voices in criticism saying it because there aren't that many critics of colour still? Yeah, um, definitely over the last four or five years, especially, I've, I've thought that being that I'm one of the few black people, especially in the UK, um, that is something that you notice. And again, another thing that you try and harness. It's all about standing out if you really want to elevate and uh, separate yourself from the pack. And being that I've been a black person all my life, <laughs> on a certain level, that already means that I stand out. Um, so, yeah, I try and harness that. When it comes to commenting on the industry and using social media and my work to do that, it's a tricky thing that I'm still navigating because, yes, it's important to do that, and on occasion I like to do that, but I'm also a guy who doesn't like to have the same conversations over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we live in a world and a society where we are forced to do that because things keep happening over and over again uh, when it comes to uh, people of colour in the industry and how the wider world reacts to them, especially when it comes to certain projects. You know, there's been... I, I remember back in 2011... Uh, the 20, yeah, I think 2011 was when Thor came out. I remember when people were mad that Idris Elba was cast as Heimdall because he was a black dude. Mm. And this is the same, essentially, conversation that we've been having with Moses Ingram in Obi-Wan, with John Boyega yeah. in Star Wars, and now with Halle Bailey in Little Mermaid, and with, and with black people in Lord of the Rings. Almost every time <laughs> this, these, these things happen... There's a, a certain white element that can't handle that. Yeah. And it becomes worldwide news. And, like, when the Moses Ingram thing happened, I actually wrote a piece for The Eye that was very well received and got a lot of retweets and everything else. And, you know, that that was nice. I was thinking of, like, weighing in on this Lord of the Rings thing because I saw what was happening. I elected not to do that on this case, partially because I was just so tired of having the same conversation over and over again. Yeah. But also partially because I saw... Um, you know, a lot of people were essentially saying the same thing and I didn't know what more I can add to that than, than that they already have. It's something which I'm constantly trying to navigate, especially with the outlets that I write for as well. Yeah. Um, there's obviously I'm very passionate about people of colour and about representation and inclusion and all the rest of it. With some of the outlets that I write for, I feel like I can't go on and on and on about that all the time because then I'll just be known as that guy. And that's the thing you have to navigate, isn't it? Because you don't want to be, you know, you said there, well, let's let's first address, you know, you said there you got commissioned to do that article. And I think it's yeah. it's a really interesting point you made about how on social media, the same thing's being said over and over again. Mm-hmm. But being commissioned to write an article about it means that you're being given a particular platform, which I think is really important because it, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of puts your voice in something outside of, the chatter of social media. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you're saying there about, you know, on, on Empire, you don't want to be banging on about the same things as it's a much more 
broader reach. Mm-hmm. But have you had the issue, either in the past or still, that commissioners will come to you and they just want you to write about black stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I've had to uh, do a lot of work to transcend that. Yeah. Um, you know, within Empire and other places as well. Um, you know, I managed to have a, sort of, a few sort of meetings with editors uh, where I sort of stress that, you know, I, I like to do, I'd like to do other stuff other than the black thing. You know, I'm still very passionate about that and that's definitely something which um, I would have an opinion on and I'd love to voice that opinion. Um, but I'd love to do other stuff. It's a tricky thing. I think with, with Empire, um, you know, it's, it's gone well over the last couple of years. I feel like I've managed to do that in pretty much every uh, facet of what they do, save for feature writing, but I, I, I think that I think that that's coming. But in the news section, in the review section at the, at the end, in podcasts, um, I've been able to talk about issues other than blackness because I'm a passionate film guy for <laughs> you know, rom-coms, for dramas, and for superhero stuff, and all of that's been able to come through. Um, the thing with me when it comes to seeking me out for uh, black stuff I don't mind it as long as we keep the relationship going and mm. the next thing you call me, you call on me for has nothing to do with it yep. like I, I've had in the years past an, a, a, an editor who I've never heard of before especially in the wake of George Floyd and everything else they'll all of a sudden get in my emails oh mom we'd love to write we'd love, love you to write about this black black thing and then I, was, I, I, I think there was one time where I was just so swamped with work. I, I told them, thank, thank you so much for reaching out. I'd love to you know, do something with you in future. Please keep in touch. I've never heard from that person again. And there's other outlets as well who have only literally got in contact with me when it was like Black History Month in the UK. Right. Oh, man, <laughs> you're like a very popular, prominent black UK journalist. Can you write this thing? Sure. And then crickets. Yeah. I've had it all the time. And that, that's the thing I cannot stand. And that's the thing, not only for myself, but for others, I'm trying to change. Yeah. There was a uh, show called Miss Marvel, a uh, Marvel Disney Plus series that uh, I really, really enjoyed. And when that was about to come out, I put out a call on Twitter. Um, who are the uh, Asian Pakistani sort of um, uh, writers who are passionate about Marvel, who are good, that people should be seeking out? for this show mm. um, and I'm happy to say that because of that thread a few writers got some work because people paid attention to the replies and sought out these people and that's great yeah. and I love that but I followed up when the series was over I followed up with that tweet I said look this is great the next step hire all these people for reasons that have nothing to do with Pakistani nothing to do with that just because they're good writers good at what they do and they have other interests seek them out for that exactly that is how we move the industry forward well that means they're being hired like white critics are being hired exactly it's basically saying you have a breadth of knowledge but and this is where I always find that it gets really interesting is that because that is absolutely what needs to be happening because the bottom line is we haven't heard enough of all those voices enough Mm -hmm. the thing is is then something I feel quite strongly about is then well it it's not really okay then is it for white critics to be coming out and and kind of having a really stark opinion say criticizing spike lee's politics criticizing spike lee for being an angry man you can't really do that as a white critic anymore and you shouldn't be should you yeah no that's partially correct i think what you're getting at here is who should be writing about what yeah 
Um, and that is another thing where for, for certain reviews, for certain features, I would love to see sort of black people or Indian people or Pakistani people or whatever, people from the diaspora to write said reviews or features or whatever mm -hmm. because they have a perspective that a white critic may not. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, especially in now, I mean, I, I do believe that there, I, I, I hope that there is a push from everyone to be as inclusive as possible. I just wish that we, everyone is, is more aware of what the right thing to do is in a certain situation. Um, that's still something which people are trying to get right here and there. And yeah. I've had experiences where I've worked for organizations that have gotten it wrong and we've expressed like our frustrations and you know, we tried to sort of move on and you know move the needle positively in a better way so that the next time something like that comes up, then we act differently. Um, but that is something which I definitely feel very passionate about and I'm trying to do and try, trying to talk to the, the decision makers mm. in our industry so that when certain situations arise, they'll be better prepared and have a better idea of maybe what the right thing to do is in that situation. Yeah. And that I completely agree. Well, exactly. I mean, I, and this is, you know, this is very much the purpose of this podcast is to really have these conversations because mm. I don't think I don't think we get there by trying to say, oh, we'll just either figure it all out and continue to be siloed in our thinking and our conversations. Um, nor do we think that it's just a simple fix because the whole point is all these things are you know, they develop, they progress over time. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I, I, I personally, as a white person right now, I feel that we should be stepping back on certain things, not least because our voices have been the ones that have been most prevalent. And that's coming from a white woman, you know, and women mm -hmm. are very, still very lowly represented, white or of colour in, you know, say the critic mm -hmm. circle and criticism in general, compared to the dominant group. And I suppose it's it's very hard for us to for there to be a kind of ring fencing and to just say to you know to a bunch of people you you can't speak anymore yeah. about anything other than your lane but the rest of us can but really what we're talking about here is there's a bunch of people who haven't really been able to say much about much and now mm -hmm. now we can yeah I mean it's a tricky thing because especially you know uh, when you're talking about people who have been doing this a while and who already have that established sort of work and portfolio and what, and what have you. Mm. It's a tricky thing. Like for, for me, the, the, the thing which I've said in the past is I would love to get to a point where there is a review of Black Panther that needs to be done and a review of Don't Worry Darling that needs to be done. Yeah. And the black person does Don't Worry Darling mm. and the white person does Black Panther, but only because they've been there's so much there's no, a, a, such an abundance of black people doing different things not just the black thing yeah that it makes sense in certain respects that they would do the white film this time yeah. while somebody that's i just want the variety of choice the problem right now is not only are we not getting the white content a lot of the times we're not even getting the black content which is why right now when it comes to a black thing it should be done by a black person to at least let us get in the door at least <laughs> let us do that one absolutely and then we can talk about other stuff that's the major issue do you think that we've got to the point now therefore where commissioners and outlets do feel 
and and do recognise that it's really not a good look if they don't if something's a very you know Asian story or what have you and they don't hire somebody from that you know group. Uh, I don't think so. Right. I don't think so because I've worked and I still work for organisations that have elected not to seek out people for certain reviews. Really? Um, right. I think I think when it comes to black content, it's been better because of, you know, the social justice movement that's happened over the last few years and the George Floyd and everything else. But we, this isn't a black and white world we live in. There's so many other uh, sort of nationalities and interests and everything else. And it's not as prevalent in the minds of all the decision makers to seek out an Arab person to do a review of June, to seek out an Indian Pakistani person to do the review of Miss Marvel. Because it's not a black thing, the same attitude to let's find a black person for such and such is not given to other stuff. And that's disappointing. Mm. Um, so, you know, go, go and look at the UK outlets and then uh, for, for, for reviews of everything, everywhere, all at once. I guarantee you there's not going to be many Asians who are asked to do reviews for UK outlets for that film. You've talked about the films that you're very interested in, the breadth of your cinematic mm-hmm. interest. Um, but what were the kind of films you grew up on? Hmm... Oh, I grew up on mainly fantasy and superhero stuff, I, I guess. Right. Um, you know, I uh, spent part of my upbringing in a boarding school. I remember uh, my brother got me a VHS of Fellowship of the Ring for my birthday <laughs> one year. Uh, so I remember that. Um, but definitely to the superheroes and cartoons, I used to love that. Um, you know, Batman, the animated series, Justice League, all that sort of stuff. I used to love watching all of that that's what i was really growing up on disney animation as well um you know the lion king is still probably my favorite animated mm-hmm. movie of all time i know coming to america is a big favorite of yours <laughs> oh yeah no, coming to america is my favorite comedy of all time like the, 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 certain movies that you still watch with your, your family all the time and they never get old and the lion king is one of them uh coming to america is one of them the sister act movies are one of them <laughs> <laughs> movies that even though you haven't watched them in 10, 15 years, you put it on and you realise you, you know you know every single line of dialogue still. Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff is really, really great. Um, obviously, when I started doing more of this in terms of the film critic world for real, I tried to widen my knowledge and the breadth of the films I was watching as much as possible. I still need to be better at, at doing that, if I'm being totally honest. But when you say um, that, are you talking about, because this is what I was going to get onto, is, you know, okay. the kind of revered canon, the film canon, mm. and the kind of, you know, the, the, the hundred best, you know, films ever mm-hmm. kind of remain very similar. And, this, you know, you've got your Battleship Potemkins and Space Odyssey mm-hmm. and all these ones in there. Mm-hmm. Did you feel, have, and have you felt, um, maybe to do with, you know, it was we talked about it the beginning the kind of particular very skewed demographic that you were aware of when you were becoming a critic mm-hmm. and before you were more established but did you feel and have you felt oh I really need to know these films in the film canon and refer to them no I haven't felt that um I would you know definitely like to watch a lot of the films that are considered to be amongst the greatest of all time and everything else and I definitely need to make more of a considered concerted effort to seek them out but I haven't felt the need to 
go back and you know, rewatch the for for film critic purposes because this, that, and the other. Like even the most knowledgeable film critics would have their blind spots and they haven't seen such and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, actually, it's it's interesting that you bring this up because I I just got invited for the first time to do uh, to contribute to the um, BFI hundred greatest list of all time great uh, thing that yeah. they did. Uh, a few years ago I'm sure when my individual top 10 list is revealed people are going to be mad at me because I <laughs> I think I think the, the the oldest film I have is from 1972 it's probably The Godfather no but this is great this is great because this is the only way it changes isn't it yeah no I, I remember looking at what the last sort of poll was and thinking one yes there's a lot of films here that I need to watch but two there needs to be some newer films on this yes. list. Um, so, so yeah, um, I think, you know, I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a masterpiece for me. I put that in my list. Um, the Shawshank Redemption is probably my favorite movie of all time. Oh, yes. That's in my list. Yes. Um, so I, I think I put Parasite in there as well. There's, uh, I've, got, I've got a lot of new stuff. Right. Um, I do agree that I need to make more of a concerted effort to watch some of the older stuff because a lot of the filmmakers working today are still taking inspiration from that. Mm. So it is nice to sort of see the parallels, how it's evolved, how they're acknowledging it, how they're changing it. All of that stuff is useful. I'm not going to poo-poo it at all. If that is what you want to do, have at it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I absolutely. And I think that's the thing, is it? But it is, it's finding that balance. Yeah. Because, you know, there is also the argument, and I think some, you know, I think Doris Lessing made this point in a book I was reading a while ago about how if you're not careful, if you're only ever referring to the stuff from the past, there's not room to be truly original. Now, I wouldn't say, I'm not saying that in saying, so therefore cinema these days isn't truly original because I think we have some amazing cinema coming out. Mm-hmm. But I think that is coming out because, we are actually recognising that we don't need to be a slave to um, the things that have been revered. Possibly the main thing in that way is the kinds of stories that we're telling. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of the canon really changes, doesn't it, by changing the stories that we value, um, which is a big and important role arguably for a film critic because we're the ones who get to encourage people to see films over and beyond something else. So I just wonder whether you feel a sense of responsibility with that in any way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, more and more the art of today is reflecting the world we live in, uh, which is a good thing, um, which some of the art from back in the day uh, didn't necessarily feel a responsibility to do. Like I... And I ended up putting it in my list because I did really like the film, ultimately. Um, and and uh, Goodfellas, for instance, is, is a really, really great film. But <laughs> there, there's certain stuff in that which rubbed me the wrong way, partially because, you know, it's, it's, it's what the filmmaker was planning, for sure. But still, to see certain sort of racist things be said, mm. I'll be very interested to see how that would be received, yeah. um, given the world we uh, live in today. So that's one of the best things about being a film critic, if not the best thing, which is directing uh, people to uh, something which may not have been on their radar, uh, but is absolutely worth seeing. Um, and especially when it comes to the smaller independent films, like in Avengers Endgame, for instance, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but the small, when, it comes, when it comes to the smaller independent films, that, that's, that's the best thing. Yeah. Um, because, you know, for, for, for both the viewer and especially the filmmaker, that's like my first, second film just starting out looking for, looking for an audience. That, that's, that's a really great thing. And if, if a film critic can have any role in facilitating that, then uh, it's, 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 great. it's great for, for everybody. 
Absolutely it is. Well, let's just kind of specifically talk about your, um, your the film column that you have at Empire, yeah. which has come in relatively recent times. Mm-hmm. Does that serve a really good purpose for you with this balancing act of making sure that you're not just seen as critiquing black cinema? Yeah, I love having that space um, with an empire to do that column. It's a, it's a crazy thing that there's a big picture of myself in the world's <laughs> biggest movie magazine in every month. Um, it's kind of insane when you think about it. Uh, and yeah, like it's it, it can be tricky sometimes because you're sort of searching for something to write about that's going to feel current when people open the magazine. And oftentimes the columns that you're reading, I would have been asked to write about it six weeks before you see that magazine, before it goes on newsstands. So it can be quite tricky to find something um, because, you know, our world moves so quickly. Um, In the online world, you can sort of get something out, bang, at the time. Um, But within like three, four days, nobody's talking about it anymore because they've moved on to a a new thing. So sometimes that's challenging on a month-to-month basis, but it's really great to have that space. I've received a lot of great feedback from it. Um, even though sometimes some of the stuff I might be writing about to a certain audience might seem, well, yes, of course, obvious, everything else. There's a certain audience who might be reading that and will have their eyes opened. Um, and I've had sort of feedback, which has said as much on multiple occasions. Great. And that's been very gratifying yeah, to see. Part, part of it, because they're so fundamental to what we do, is also the PR element of it as well. You know, I've been doing this for 11 years. I'm I'm a known quantity, (laughs) I think it's fair to say. And yet even sometimes for me, it can be tricky to get on people's screening lists sometimes. And the the thing which I found with PRs at times is that when it comes to the more general films that are released week to week, the multimedias, I go to screenings and I barely see any black people. Mm. But when it comes to a black-led film, all of a sudden there's black people who come out who come out the woodwork and then it's like where, where where have you guys been how have you guys not been to any other screenings how have I not seen you here before um, and that's a little bit frustrating I think it's an interesting point you bring up about you know who gets invited to what screenings and what have you mm-hmm. and, and what the agenda of the PRs is because I know that obviously these days there's a lot more influencer screenings but as you said they've not even got that many critics of colour to invite and if you're not getting invited what's going on there? This is exactly it. This is exactly it. And it's a ton of frustration. I've got, um, I'm, I made a group, a WhatsApp group for Black UK Film Critics. So we talk about all this stuff all the time. Um, and there's been a lot of frustration there at times when they've been able, unable to get into screenings that everyone else has been able to get into. Yeah. And these guys are doing good work. They're putting out good content. But if they're not going to be present for the screenings, they can't do that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like sometimes it's just frustrating the PRs don't quite get that right and I would like to see that change not just for films which are black led for other films like that which have you know which which aren't black led I would love to see the same diversity of representation in those screenings that would be great because still I've been doing this 11 years most of the time I'm one of two maybe three black people in the room Mm. with multimedias is slightly better but not as but not not as good as it should be no, it's a really good point that it does it does start with the whether or not the PRs are responding to critics because like you said, you know, a, a critic can be commissioned to do something but if they can't if they can't get in to see the film, it isn't going to happen. That's exactly right. We brought up we've mentioned in passing a variety of times social media. Yeah. How do you find your experience on social media as a critic? It's pleasant, it's fine. I think, you know, I try 
<laughs> a, a lot of the time, I'm I'm not choosing to properly forcefully weigh in on a thing which people are discussing most of the time. I do try and keep my ear to the ground and, and be aware of things. Um, a lot of the time, when I do choose to comment, you know, I'll, I'll get some, I get mostly good feedback, and then I'll get some people just in my mentions talking all sorts of nonsense. Like I, I, I'm, I'm making a few tweets about Moses Ingram and Obi Wan and all the mm. ridiculousness that was happening with her, and the amount of nonsense I saw in my replies is just ridiculous. I did, I think I did a reaction tweet like that's all the Woman King, and I just had these random people in my mentions talking about how, uh, you know, the the Dahomey, which is who the who the Woman King is about, they were sort of slavers and in 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 real life, and I'm like, if you if you've watched the movie, you realize that they address this. Right. <laughs> but people are just in my mentions, just random people coming at me. So, you know, it, it, at that point, it's just, it is what it is. I'm, I'm very good at ignoring. Uh, I love the mute button. I love the block button. <laughs> they get used fairly frequently when these situations arise. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a, you know, a consistent bummer that certain people just don't feel like we have a right to exist in these worlds at times and who, and then who will come up with nonsense like the woman king i remember when uh selma came out ava duvernay had to deal with this whole uh thing which uh you know, in, in some ways derailed the campaign for that movie so it's it's just you know social media is what it is uh, i try and just be mindful about who i apply to who is in my circles one thing that i consistently emphasize is that yes social media is nice but if you really want to discuss something which is, you know, spread all over social media and it's going the whole thing, have your private DM groups <laughs> yeah. and discuss it there. I'm blessed enough to have, uh, like, three really great private DM groups off the top of my head where we get into all of this stuff and that scratches my itch of wanting to talk <laughs> about it but not publicly. Yeah. And it's and, and, and in that way, it's also a more interesting conversation as well because when you make stuff public... Yes, to making your opinion known, but there's likes and retweets and there's all that. And then you have people sometimes who have no business commenting on things in, in your mentions. Yeah. When you, when you do it in your DMs, it's, it's, it, that takes that entire element away and you can actually get to the crux of the issue and discuss it in a more interesting way. That's one of the things that's one of the reasons why I love the Fate of Black podcast that I do with Clarice Lockbury and Hannah Flint, because that is a forum where we don't have to restrict our thoughts to 240 characters. We can talk about things in depth and really get into what the film Twitter world is saying. We have a segment on each episode called Hot Take, where which is specifically <laughs> for things like this, yeah. uh, where we get into stuff we're in detail. But but you listen to each other and have a respectful conversation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If only that were true of all the social media, yeah. but it is not. Honestly, it's frustrating because I one of the, my favourite things about this industry is the post-screening conversation. Mm. I absolutely love it, especially when you're coming out of a film where everyone's been really, really excited yeah. for. Uh, you come out of a film, you talk about, oh, you like this, this, this. And it's so good to exchange those thoughts and exchange that excitement. And then... Sometimes the same people who I've just been discussing this with in a really interesting, uh, confident way in person, when it goes to online, they're like, I'm right, you're wrong, and here's why, and you suck, and all the rest <laughs> of it. And I'm just like, hold on, where, where's all this come from? Just talk like, you know, like, what, what is that? like a good point can come from anywhere. 
Yeah. Like I got eight thousand followers. There, other the people that industry got twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand followers. That might be a really good point for somebody who has two followers who will get in your mention and say, "I noticed this, this, and this." Have respect for everybody. I have spoken to a few um, female critics who yeah. have talked about, um, you know, the abuse they can get on social media in terms of, I mean, mainly, I suppose, just kind of saying, you don't know what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. I mean, very personal um, attacks, but undermining their authority. Do mm-hmm. you have any of that that goes on? Not really. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that respect. I haven't really had anything too much uh, with that sort of rhetoric. I haven't um, had any death threats anything like that. I am aware that that's stuff that goes on in our industry and it just sickens me. Um, uh, But personally, I can't say that I've had much in the way of that. Amon Warman there. And you can hear more from Amon each week on the Fade to Black podcast with new episodes every Sunday. That's just about it for this week. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and rate Open to Criticism wherever you listen to your podcasts. And an Apple review would be just peachy. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Open to Criticism, where two is the number two. Next week, I'll be talking on-screen sexy business and how we're moving on from the male gaze with critic Karen Krizanovich. I think that um, it's made us realize that women were often cut up visually. Uh, We would see a woman's body or her legs or her backside or even her chest as if to represent her sexuality, but not really her. It was like the sexuality was what was really important about her. Open to Criticism is written, produced and presented by me, Wendy Lloyd, with original music by Hamish Clark. Thanks for listening.